want to invite you to take your Bible to the book of Colossians this morning, Colossians chapter 2. We'll spend a few moments there as well as a couple of verses in chapter 3. We are now, uh, for the third week, we're focusing on this idea, this series that we are in uh, above all and how the book of Colossians shows us the supremacy of Christ and how He is to reign supreme over every facet of our lives, so much so that according to chapter 1, verse 18, He might be preeminent in everything. And the reason that we can put Christ above all and we can know that when we do that, it's the right thing to do is because Jesus is a sufficient Savior. Therefore, that's the title of our sermon this morning, A Sufficient Savior. And when we understand just how sufficient, how in Jesus we do find all that we need, it then encourages us to put Him above all. Now, one of the challenges that the church at Colossae, which is to whom this letter has been written, hence the name of the book, Colossians. One of the challenges in writing this letter uh, to this church was that they were allowing their culture to dictate how they viewed God. You know, a whole lot's changed, has it, in some regards. That in many ways, we can allow culture to dictate, to influence how we view God, and that always leads us to a place where we shouldn't be. This is a city, where Paul's writing to people who live in a city who have a, a vast number of temples, a, a vast number of, of superstitious practices. It was really a buffet-style approach to faith to where you could get a little bit of this God, a little bit of that God, a little bit of this belief, a little bit of that belief, and, and you had a whole smorgasbord of things that you could believe. Uh, you, you had uh, in some temples you could go there and worship if you wanted prosperity. If you wanted to be healthy, you could skip that temple and go to a, another temple. In fact, uh, I came across something several years ago in a previous pastorate. We had a relationship with a, a missionary who was in a, a close country, a, a Muslim country, but a country that was full of migrant workers. Workers, and they did not uh, mind the migrant workers, the non-natives, to practice their religion. They just didn't want you coming in and witnessing to, to Muslims. And as we went in one of these journeys, we, we, one of the, the, the approaches we took was to make it a, a, a prayer journey and, and to really pray for people as we were going through these things. And we came to a Buddhist temple. And Buddhism is, has a lot in common <laughs> with the belief system that is being uh, exhibited in the book of Colossians. And we went into a Buddhist temple, and here's a picture of what we saw in that Buddhist temple, is that there was a whole wall in that Buddhist temple that had nothing but these large ornate statues to Buddha. And I've tried to, to, to point out to you that the three arrows that you see there, those arrows are pointing to a box. Okay, each Buddha had its own box. See how many bees I can fit into this sermon illustration. And with each box, you could go to the Buddha. We did not, obviously. But those who practiced Buddhism would go to the box. 
they would offer a prayer, and by each box, as you see on the next slide, by each box they had a description. Now, you may not be able to read that, but what one of those says is the year of the pig. So if you were to put your offering in that box, it promised you a specific blessing of money that would never run dry. You went on down a little ways, and they had another box that was the year of something else. And if you put your money, it's not just enough for the prayer. You always had to have an offering go with it. You, you put your money in the box by that Buddha, and it promised you happiness for the year. I thought about trying that just to see. I mean, it didn't work. Uh, and then as we walked in the back, there was this next picture showed you something in the back. There was, in essence, this, this will of fortune. This is a, a water fountain with different bowls that are set upon it, and though they, it, it constantly spins. And those bowls each have a quote-unquote blessing. So if you were a practicing Buddhist, you'd walk outside the temple, and you would see the, this, uh, the, the, this bowl, this wheel of fortune, so to speak, and you would throw your money. You had to be really good aim, or you, you were going to come out there uh, not on the winning side. Not that any of you know what it's like to lose at the casino. But uh, you, you, would, you would toss a coin in, hoping that if it landed, let's say that you wanted health. You would identify the bowl that said health, and you would flip your coinage, hoping that that it landed into that bowl. Now, that, that is exactly, uh, in, in some degree, what's happening in Colossae, only they don't have one temple with all of those Buddhas and all those bulls. They have a, in Colossae, when Paul's writing, they have a temple for each of those things that you want. So if you wanted to be happy, you would find the temple of happiness, and you would worship there. If you wanted to be wealthy, you would find the temple of wealth, and you would worship there. It was a, a build-a-bear theology, basically, to where you could find what you wanted to find. Now, the Christians who were in this city, the Christians who were in Colossae, they knew that they weren't supposed to go to these pagan temples, and for the most part, they did not. However, that mentality, which is called religious pluralism, the, a plurality of religions, that mentality influenced their approach to God. So much so that Paul had to write to them because what many of these Christians believed, it, in essence, it's the same thing that we believe. They believe that you needed other things in addition to Jesus to make your life complete. For them, Jesus was not enough. They began to believe the lie that he was an insufficient Savior. Oh, he's important, and he's part of the equation. He's necessary for salvation, but you need, if you're going to be, uh, live the real Christian life, the joyful Christian life, the people in, in Colossae, the Christians would say, you need something else. It wasn't that they completely discounted Jesus. Rather, theirs was a Jesus plus theology. They didn't discard him, but they believed in him plus something else to make their life meaningful. So Paul writes to address this era, and he writes to challenge them. His premise, Paul is telling us, as we're, as we're reading in a moment, that Jesus Christ is enough. Therefore, there is no need for Jesus and anything else. Paul's argument is this, once you have Jesus, 
you have it all. And here's the equation to see on the screen. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Would you be unbaptistic and speak in church out loud with me on that one? Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Well, almost some of you don't want to relent and let's do it more time. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Once you have Jesus, you have it all. And so Paul writes these words in Colossians chapter 2 beginning in verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. Paul says once you have the fullness of God in Christ, what else could you lack? What other spiritual blessing would you need that's not provided in Jesus? And so he addresses some of these rules and, and some of these rituals and some of these regulations that people were adding to their faith in Jesus, how they were looking to those things to fulfill their spiritual lives. He says in chapter 2 and verse 16, for example, he says, therefore let no one pass judgment on you in questions of, of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. He's saying, don't get caught up in those things. Get caught up in Jesus. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on aestheticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and it together through his joints and ligaments grows with a growth that is from God. Paul is telling us in very plain language that these outside things, these rituals, these experiences, they are not Jesus. They point us to Jesus, but when we use them to try to make our life feel complete, we'll always feel empty. So he drives his point home in chapter 2 and verse 20. He says, if with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used according to human precepts and teaching. If you died with Christ, Paul says, to the elements of this world, the way this world seeks security and power, why do you live as if you still belong to the world? And so because of this truth, look at chapter 3, Paul comes to this conclusion. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ 
in God. The right hand of God is the ultimate place of authority, the ultimate place of power. And Paul is telling us to live in light of that truth, in light of the fact that the Savior we serve sits in the ultimate place of power. Therefore, outside of Him, what other kind of help do we need? If he's the one in the ultimate place of power, what other help would we need? And Paul says we should no longer be looking to earthly things to make our lives work. We have a Savior who is sufficient. A relationship with God through Christ means that we possess the one who is himself, the fullness of God. If you have Jesus, you have it all. Jesus plus nothing. Nothing equals everything. Now, is it just me or is there feedback coming from somewhere? Okay, I was thinking there was a rat I was stepping on. Let's pause for a second. Well, then you listen to for an hour, for another hour. For another hour. Y'all didn't even get that part. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> yep. Okay, it's something. It's not me. It's not, it's not me. It's you. <laughs> it's, it's not me. I showed up. I haven't got my coat on today uh, because I thought it'd be cold, but it's not. Uh, all right. Whoa, 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 where we go? All right, now. Here's where we left off, where I left you off. The people in Colossians, they thought that they needed something else to be happy, to be fulfilled other than Jesus. Now, we don't have the same temptations they have. You know, they were specifically, they, they, they were having things like Jewish customs and, and things like circumcision and, and what you eat and what you drink. Those things to them were, were tripping them up. So we don't face the exact same things, but we face the very same basis of that temptation. We are tempted with the belief that we need to add something to Jesus to make life work better. Oh, we, we believe that Jesus is important and Jesus should have a place in our lives and maybe he, he even should should be have a high place in our lives but for many of us maybe you didn't even realize that this morning but you walked in here thinking that Jesus is good he's important but he's not enough you see for some people the idea is that in order to be happy I need Jesus plus a good job if I really want to find purpose then I need Jesus plus a spouse and I even heard some people sit in front of me and say, you know, I believe God wants me to be happy. Well, God wants me to be happy. And if, if, and if I'm going to be happy, I need Jesus plus a different spouse. True story. Well, I believe I can be happy if I have Jesus plus a bigger house. I'll be content, Pastor, when I have Jesus plus a better car. And all these things that we look to for happiness that we think if we you know what happens, we end up getting them and we still want more because we have failed to realize that Jesus is enough. 
Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And just as a Christian does not need to have multiple gods in their lives, we also don't need to have multiple priorities in our life. We are to have one God and one priority, and that priority is pleasing God. And when that comes first, everything else falls into place. It's like Jesus should have written something and told us that if we'd seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, everything else would take care of itself. That'd make a great Bible verse, wouldn't it? If they placed it somewhere on Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. That if we seek Jesus, if He is not a priority, but the priority, if He is the sufficient Savior of our lives, He takes care of everything else. Remember I told you week one of this series that this is a matter, putting Jesus above all, is a matter of stewardship. He must be preeminent. And with that being said, I'm, I'm not going to be, be long at all, but, but I want you to try to identify where you are and where you need to be. You know, when we talk about making Jesus Lord of all, we usually end up uh, trying to narrow that down to, to three big categories to capture all of that. We, we, we talk about how it needs to be the, the Lord above all in our time, in our talents, and our tithe. That's the, the Baptist seminary way of explaining it. That we boil it down to those three areas, our time, our talents, and our treasure, our tithes. That, that what we give, what we spend with God, what we do with God, that He's to be the Lord of our life. And when it comes to that, that there, there are people who basically fall into one of two, two categories, and we aim for the third. You see, some people live with a priority of spending. They live with a priority of spending. And that is that when it comes to their time, their talent, they, their, their treasure, they spend, spend, spend for themselves. They maximize their life for them. In the here and now, right now, in this moment, today, at the expense of tomorrow. Some people have then lived with the priority of, of saving. That is, when it comes to their time and their talent and their treasure, they feel like they need to shore everything up and not touch it. Because that's going to be their security in the future. And they do that at the expense of today. So you got people who live with a priority of spending. Let's just go live my life like I want to live it. And, and they do that at the expense of tomorrow. And you've got some people who live with a priority of no, let's shore it all up. Let's make it all about us. Let's have some security at the expense of today. Now there's nothing wrong with enjoying what God gives you. There's nothing wrong with saving some things that God gives you. But God's people are called to live with a priority of stewardship. And we can live, let me try to see where this is all driving toward. You see, a steward sees their time, their talent, and their treasure as a temporary gift from God that is to be used for the eternal purposes of God. A steward, a steward may use some of their time and some of their talent and some of their treasure to provide for their own needs right now. And they may shore up some of it to use in the future, but a biblical steward intentionally limits both their consumption and their conservation. They don't eliminate it, they reduce it. They, they minimize their spending, their consumption, and their conserving, and they focus instead on using 
what God has given them to be a blessing to others and to honor the Lord. Set your mind, Paul said, on things that are above not on things that are on the earth. When Paul says, here's how it ties together with how Christ is above all. When Paul says that we are to set our minds on things above, not on earthly things, he means that we are not to look at our time and our talent and our treasure as the source of satisfaction. Christ is our source of satisfaction. He's saying that we don't need to look at our time and our talent and our treasure as a source of security. Christ is both our satisfaction and our security because He is completely competent and able to do what He has said He would do. So instead of looking at those things for our satisfaction and our security, we are to be stewards of the things that God gives us. Let me ask you this question. And I told you that this series would challenge us. So here's a disclaimer. Here's your challenging question. Don't answer it out loud. Think about it. What do you have right now that's going to last 100 years from now? What's going to matter about your life in 1,000 years. What's going to be important about your earthly life 10,000 years from now? Will the kind of car you drive be important? Will the size of the house in which you live matter? A thousand years from now, will the balance in your bank account have any significance for your life? You see, living as good stewards means that we understand this simple truth. One life to live will soon be passed, and only what is done for Christ will last. You see, there are only, and I racked my brain all week to think of things that have an eternal impact. I even looked at the Twitter to see if you could tell me, and it's a little mixed up on it. <laughs> Google doesn't have the right answer either. But as I pondered the tensions of Jesus, here what I, here, here's what I come to. That basically, there, there are really two things that have eternal impact. The kingdom of God and the souls of people. That's about it. Everything else is done after death. It's the kingdom of God and the souls of people. Invest your life in God's kingdom. Invest your life in the souls of people through surrendering to Jesus, through making him above all. Invest your time and your talent and your treasure in God's kingdom agenda and in helping others hear about him. And that can mean being the ambassador of Christ at the place of your employment or at your school. That can mean giving to your church for future ideas and plans that we have to reach families and, and people in Milton San Rosa County, the world, and beyond. That can involve 
involve whatever God's placing upon your heart today. But Paul's challenge is for us the same as it was for the Colossians. Make your lives count for eternity. Because as he says in chapter 2, excuse me, chapter 3 and verse 4, he says, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. You see, it's not just that Jesus gives life. He is life. He endures forever. He rules, and eternity is real. If you have Jesus, you have it all. See, this morning, you and I have to choose for which, from which source we seek life. And once we make that choice, we must commit to live that way with every fiber of our being. It's either Jesus plus nothing or Jesus plus something. Every single one of us live from one of those two perspectives. Jesus plus nothing or Jesus plus something. Making Jesus above all is a decision we must continually make to set our minds on things that are above, that we choose to make Jesus above all today, and then we get up and do it again tomorrow. Listen, friend, in eternity, life is not determined by your financial portfolio or by the number of toys you accumulated or at which age you retired and enjoyed it. Enjoy your financial portfolio. Enjoy those things that God gives you. But that's not what determines your life. Your eternity will be determined by what you do with Jesus. Are you living out His will? Are you seeking to please Him? Are you stewarding what He has given you for His good purpose? Making life work will never occur when, you, when your trust is in earthly things because as soon as they come into your life, they can then leave. But you place Jesus at the center of your life. When Jesus becomes your Lord and Savior, He never leaves. He didn't even take a vacation. He didn't even take a nap in your life. He's with you thick through thick and thin. The first step in making Jesus above all is to make him your Lord and Savior today. He has done all the work that to accomplish that, and all he simply asks you to do is confess your sin to him. And if there's never been a time when you've confessed your sin, you've repented of that sin, that you've trusted in Jesus as Lord and Savior, then today make that decision. You'll walk out of here today. Every single one of us will walk out of here today living with Jesus plus nothing or Jesus plus something. It's Jesus plus nothing that equals everything. Whatever you need to lay down in your life that's taken up that something spot, lay it down today. Only one life we have to live till soon be passed. What's done for Christ will last. As we prepare to wrap things up here this morning, we do want to encourage you to make 
whatever commitment God is calling you to make. If you need to make that commitment, you need to take that next step. If you've got questions about what that looks like or you have decided to take that next step, we want you to let us know. You can find in your pews a yellow card that has the next steps that we believe God is calling us to make. And you just let us know which step you're ready to take and we'll come alongside you and try to provide you with the tools and the resources to take that next step, to put Jesus above all, to live that life. Jesus plus nothing equals everything.